Good morning, family. I want to read a portion of text this morning. It's taken from the book of Jonah, chapter 2. Jonah, chapter 2. This is pretty much where we're going to get our exhortation for today. Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 2. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it would read something like this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly and said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed in around me, weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with all its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you brought me up to my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay you what I have vowed, for salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spake to the fish, and it vomited or puked Jonah up on dry land. I've entitled, I've entitled my brief encouragement this morning, The Prodigal's Prayer. The prodigal's prayer. Stand with me while together we sing this song. Hide me now under.
It's easy to think when you hear the word prodigal. Almost automatically speaking, your mind ventures into the parable of the prodigal son or the parable commonly referred to as the prodigal son found in the book of Luke chapter number 15. But I want us to appreciate as we think about this idea of prodigal, the word prodigal simply is defined as someone who wastes their substance. And I, I want to be really particular with my words for the next few minutes. Someone who wastes their substance and resources on frivolous or worthless living. In other words, you don't put what you have to good use, to profitable use, to a use that is not only beneficial to you, but is also beneficial to those who are around you. So when you think about the context of Luke chapter 15, and I want to do this as quickly as I can, when you think of the context of Luke chapter 15, that final parable of the prodigal son, who's calling me this hour of the day? That, that, 
that final product, that, that final parable of what we consider to be the prodigal son or the father who had two sons is actually the third part of a three installment series of lessons and parables that Jesus would have been giving. In the first parable that we find in Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 7, Jesus, uh, as he talks about the lost sheep, he, he says unto them, which one of you having a hundred sheep, if he doesn't lose one, leave the 99. You remember this parable, right? And so the parable is geared towards Jesus illustrating the fact that they understood that each sheep had value. That losing one sheep could have been the difference of having a loss, breaking even, or making a profit. So they understood the value of each sheep based on the economic background and culture and day that they were living in. The second parable Jesus speaks to, he illustrates a woman having 10 coins, and as she would have had 10 coins, the scripture says, he says, that she loses one of those coins within the confines of the house and she would turn the house upside down and as she turns the house upside down she she understands the value of this one this one coin if 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 if, if you lived in those days and those times i know we live in some times where you could get a, a, a 99 cents me but but in those days and times every cent counted and so she understands that to lose this particular coin may have made the difference in whether her and her family were going to eat for the rest of the week. Make it worse. If it was tax time, you, you didn't play with, with those Roman tax collectors when tax time came around. I know the IRS gets a bad rap from time to time, but you, you guys know that you don't play when tax time comes around because the IRS might be knocking on your door or touching your bank account. So maybe it was tax time, and as tax time was rolling around, this money was set aside to pay taxes on to Caesar. So to have lost one could have met with certain repercussions, certain ne negative repercussions. So Jesus illustrates in the first parable that they understood the value of animals. Jesus illustrates in the second parable that they understood the value of money. But in the third parable, he really is trying to indicate and, and represent the fact that they did not really appreciate nor understand the value of a soul. Let me see if I can make this make sense. You, you remember maybe two and a half years ago, there was this big, uh, there were these big slogans, uh, Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. You remember that? Just want to make sure. Just, just want to make sure. Let, let, let me see if I could clarify some things as far as the, 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 the nonsense that has been taking place out there in the world. Let me put it to you this way, and don't get mixed, don't get mixed with this. When we look at what Jesus is teaching, here is what Jesus is teaching as we think about those phrases that have been thrown out into the world. He is saying, all lives matter. Repeat that. Only when every life does. So in other words, to claim that all lives matter in a true sense, that person has to believe that every single life matters. 
You hear me when I say that? So when Jesus uses this illustration of this third parable of this man who has these two sons, the younger son takes and he asks for his inheritance early. He leaves and goes into a far country. He spends it and then he comes back. But he has a second son there. And when the second son realizes what's taken place, he doesn't play too nice with everybody else. As a matter of fact, he had a chip on his shoulder and a problem with the fact that the father was willing to kill the fatted calf because the young son who left came back and the father is throwing a big party. But little do the Jews, little did the scribes and Pharisees recognize that what Jesus was trying to illustrate, they had a problem at the beginning of Luke chapter 15 with Jesus spending time with the people who they called publicans and sinners. And Jesus is trying to illustrate to them, well, listen, if you understand the parable really carefully and really clearly, he wants them to appreciate that the, the publicans and sinners in this scenario, in my parable, is the young son. But the old son, that's you guys. He, he wasted his substance. He wasted his resources. But God was still able to open up his hands to him. But you who had not strayed, you were lost while right there in the house. So some sheep stray from the sheepfold, and you need to go and find them. Some individuals don't stray too far from the sheepfold. Some people don't, don't go missing from church. But the truth is, sometimes the people who are sitting right there in the pews need to be found as well. You guys want to know why I preach the way I do often, every Sunday at least I try to? It's because I'm not, I'm not seeing everybody here. Of course, we, most of us here are baptized believers. I, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach life to every single soul here because sometimes the people who are in the pews, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the people in the pews are the ones who are dead. Sometimes the people in the pews are the ones who are depressed. Sometimes the people in the pews are the ones who are hanging on by a thread. Sometimes the people in the pews, the people who show up Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Saturday after after Saturday, the people who show up for youth, the people who show up for family, the people who show up when the doors are open, those same people are holding on by a thread. So when we come together, it's an opportunity for us to have a reconnection with each other and a reinvigorating experience with God. Let me repeat that one more time. When we come together, every single time those doors are open up, it's a moment for us to reconnect with each other. This might be the last time that you and I have the opportunity to worship God on this side of heaven. This might be the last time that we see each other to be able to, 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 to give each other the flowers. Don't wait until somebody's in a casket to tell them how much you love them and, and, and to, to share all the good things. Don't wait until you have to come and do a eulogy to make a call or to send a text or to give somebody a hug and a, and a loving embrace. Don't wait until somebody is gone to talk about the good times that you used to have because the truth is we don't know how long we have in this life. So Jesus wants to illustrate in Luke chapter number 15 that there is a certain heart that the Christian needs to have. He wants to illustrate that there is a certain heart that the believer ought to have. It's a heart that's connected with people as well as a heart that is connected with God. But ever so often, every now and then, the heart of the believer strays 
from God. And we find this illustration in the book of Jonah, chapter number 2. I want to do this really quick, and the lesson will be yours. In Jonah, chapter number 2, Jonah prays this prayer. And what's interesting about this scenario is that Jonah is praying this prayer in the belly of this beast, in the belly of this fish. I'm pretty sure Jonah really didn't know exactly what swallowed him up, but in Jonah's mind, he is thinking, I only have a certain amount of time to live, maybe. I don't think, or at least I don't know if Jonah was, 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 was confident in the fact that at the end of this ordeal, he was going to come out at the end of this alive and unscathed. So I think in my belief system, this is Jonah sitting down and, and, and taking stock of where he was, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. This is Jonah taking stock of where he was and recognizing that he needs to make his life right with God. Before I got on that ship, I determined in my heart not to follow God's command when he told me to go to Nineveh and preach. So, so I designed to stray from God. And, and when they threw me over the boat after the, the command and request of God, even I made my way into these waters. And, I, and I'm here really because of my own doing. But yet, as much as he recognized that he is there because of his own doing, there is something in this text that allows us to appreciate that Jonah understands ultimately God is in control of everything. He says, for when I was in my affliction, I, I cried out to you. And not only did I cry out to you, but I had the assurance that you heard my prayer. Notice, if you look at the text very carefully, Jonah isn't approaching this as someone who doesn't know that God is there to listen to. As a matter of fact, he is confident. Even in his affliction, even in his infirmity, even in his stubbornness, even in his state, Jonah is confident that as he prays, God is going to hear his prayer. Church, have you ever been in a position where, uh, you know, you felt like God wasn't hearing your prayer? Have you ever been in a state where because of how you've been living and because of some of the things that you may have been saying or doing, you feel like as you pray this prayer, God isn't, isn't hearing. And you have to pray a prayer in such a way to, to incline God's ear to your prayer. I'm trying to help us to recognize Jonah knew something that maybe he's trying to teach us that God, as long as we are connected to God, it doesn't matter where we are spiritually, God hears your prayer. The devil comes in, however, and he tries to get us to think. He tries to distort our vision from really recognizing the connection that we have to Almighty God. There is no place that you and I could go that's so far from God that God is unable to hear or deal or handle the situations that you and I find ourselves in. There is no depression too deep. There is no marriage too far gone. There is, no, there is no mental state too much of in distress that God cannot reach in and deal with. There is no sin. Hear me and hear me well. There is no sin too great that God can cleanse. I know we live in a world today, and sadly it's made its way into, into Christendom. I know we live in a world today where people try to put categories to sin. Well, you know, little white lies, those aren't too bad. So that's, that's small sin. And, and the big sins are the things that have the, the different letters to it, right? You, you know what I mean when I say different letters, right? I don't, I don't want to say it, but 
You know what I mean? Those, those lifestyle letters. And so we believe, well, 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 well you have, once, you're, once you're, you're, you're committing those type of sins, those are the big sins, and so those are the sins that really get us condemned. But let me tell you this, the, the type of sins that God has to treat with and deal with, the type of sins that God can't really take care of, is the sins that come from a position of a heart that is close to God working on it. It's interesting because in Luke chapter number 15, Jesus is dealing with scribes and Pharisees, people who claim to know truth, and they were quick to condemn others who fell into sin and sinfulness. That tells me that as a Christian, you and I need not have a heart or a disposition that is quick to condemn. Because the heart or the person that is quick to condemn, hear me and hear me well. Let me, let me get a little closer. Let me look at some eyes. I, that, that's not to say that I believe you do this, but let me, let, me, let me say this. The heart or the person that's close to condemn and quick to condemn, brother, sis, the person that's quick to condemn is the person whose eyes is blinded to the level and the quantity of grace that God has placed on his or her life every single minute of every single day. Oh, you, don't, you, didn't, you didn't recognize what she did. You, you didn't hear what they did. You don't see what they're doing. That's the person who, who fails to open their eyes, their own eyes, to see the goodness of God, the mercy, the grace, and the love of God that's working on them every single minute of every single day. If the church would open their eyes to see the goodness and the grace of God in our lives every single day, we won't have time to condemn other people for how they live. But you know what we'll be doing? We'll be encouraging for Listen, you need to come to Jesus. We'll be, we'll be entreating folks. Listen, there is no better place than to be in Jesus. Why is that? Because I don't have time to look at your sin because my sin could condemn me to a devil's hell. So the prodigal's prayer and the message will be yours. Takes on three simple avenues. Repeat after me. The prodigal prayer, in the prodigal prayer, you must have self-realization. Say self-realization. Look to the person to you next to you and say, wake up. Wake up. That's the, that's the light bulb moment. I'm going to preach this in like, in, like, in like 30 seconds, Thomas. Secondly, when you think about the prodigal prayer, there's not only a self-realization. In other words, you don't have time to look at everybody else. You only have time to look at yourself. Wake up. Patterson. Stop looking at what everybody else is or is not doing. Look at what you are not or you are doing. So it's a self-realization that ought to take place. That's, that's God telling me, wake up. Number two, it's a spiritual realignment. Say realignment. Look to the person next to you and say, shake up. In other words, now that you've recognized your weakness and where you are, now it's time to move. Don't, don't stay the same place. Don't mingle around the same people. Don't, don't encase yourself in the same situation and circumstance. Now it's time for you to move. Shake up. Say shake up. I told you I was going to preach this in 30 seconds. I have 10 more seconds. But number three, <laughs> number three, here's the third thing. As you think about the prodigal prayer, these are the three items that you would find every single time. There is a submission. Say submit. submit. There is a submission to righteous rule. Look to the person next to you and say shut up. 
<laughs> oh, you, 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 you. Stop listening to all those voices. Stop, stop listening to the flesh. And start submitting now. Stop, stop trying to do things your own way. And start submitting to the Holy Spirit. Start submitting. That shut up. You remember when, when, when Moses was, uh, had the people of Israel. And, and, and the Red Sea was ahead of them. And the, the, the chariots of, of, of Egypt were behind. You remember what God told Moses to tell him. He said stand still. Shut up. And see the salvation of the glory of God. God is saying to us. I'll tell you I'm done. That was my 10 seconds. God is saying. Wake up. God is saying, shake up. Can't remain the same. But he's also saying, shut up. It's not about you. It's about me. So when you think about what God is doing through Jonah, I think God is trying to do the same thing through us. He's trying to get us to a place where we're so connected to his heart and his will that we're able to put aside the flesh, put aside tradition, and just follow his lead. Repeat after me one more time and we'll be done. Say, wake up. Look to the person next to you and say, shake up. <laughs> and finally, look to somebody else and say, you need to shut up. <laughs> Let's all stand. Let's all stand. You get it, right? You get it, right? You, you, you get it, right? <laughs> Let God be true and every man be found a liar. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy and his love. For when we was weak, we were made strong through the sacrifice of his son. Let's sing this song.